sharing wisdom and speaking truth, this is the IPHC Leadership Cast. Hello and welcome to this episode of the IPHC Leadership Cast. I'm Garrett Magby and today I am sitting with Lynn Woodbury. Uh, who you might know through a, a couple of different uh, venues, but he is the the regional director of the Mediterranean region of the IPHC, our, our influence there, our ministries there. Uh, and then also a uh, very uh, well-known artist. Uh, of course, mm-hmm. got beautiful paintings all over the place. I know mm-hmm. at the, the GMC building, we have quite a mm-hmm. few of your paintings mm-hmm. up there. Um, and uh, involved in a lot of different areas of ministry. So I want to I want to first say welcome and thank you for being on the program and then also ask you to give us a little bit more background on on you and and all the different areas of work that you're involved in. Well, it's a joy to be with you and uh, I think this is uh, pretty cool podcast. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be my very first podcast ever. Is so, this your first you know, one? You're trying to drag me into the 21st century, <laughs> kicking well, and screaming. I guess I'm going. I'm glad I could be the first <laughs> one to help, help through that process. <laughs> uh, well, uh, my name is Lynn Berry. Some people know me as Lynn Woodberry. Okay. But uh, my wife and I have been serving in Spain and in Southern Europe. For the last, uh, it'll be 32 years in August. And uh, we, when we went to Spain uh, as missionaries, uh, we began to plant churches. And the, all of the work of the IPHC in Spain began in our living room about 30 years ago. Wow. And uh, since then, uh, we've been planting churches, and we've plant, personally planted a number of churches, and uh, many of the pastors are our personal uh, disciples. Now we have a conference, 14 churches, two Bible schools, um, all kinds of social ministry, uh, food banks, a feeding program, and uh, we also have this very unique ministry called Project Crea. And that's a ministry where we use art and uh, music and things like that as a platform to reach uh, people who never think about going to church. And, uh, and that is really taking off. And then recently, uh, our region was changed slightly. They changed the name from Southern Europe to <coughs> Mediterranean <coughs> and opened it up and now we have uh, North Africa, many North African countries as part of that. If the Mediterranean Sea touches it, it's <laughs> probably in my region. I think there are four or five countries that are not. So you can, you can kind of get that. That's a little bit of who we are and what we have been doing. Wow. So uh, we do a lot of stuff. You know, we do all the traditional pastoring, preaching, teaching, discipling, helping people, counseling, leadership training, all of that stuff we've been doing since day one. And we also have some uh, responsibility to represent the IPHC in our region. Mm -hmm. But also, and as you mentioned, uh, the idea of working with art and through the arts has just really exploded. Yeah. And we found it to be a very, very effective tool to, uh, to talk to people. You know, if you're an artist, 
they kind of will allow you to be strange and different. You, know, <laughs> you can get away with almost anything if you're an artist. You, know, you can yeah. you can be New Age, you can be a Buddhist, you can even be a Pentecostal. You know, and yeah. people kind of expect something different from artists. But uh, that has given us a venue to be able to have a, a voice. And uh, many years ago, I was reading the number one newspaper of Spain, the El País newspaper. And they had an article about art, um, artists, I mean, in the, in the broader sense, film and music and, you know, books and, of course, the fine arts. And the title of that article really captured my attention. And it said, artists are the prophets of the 21st century. Hmm. And the whole argument of this newspaper article was that in times gone by, people would look to church. They would look to uh, maybe higher education to interpret life and tell them how they should live. But in the 21st century, people look to artists, that is musicians and uh, filmmakers. They're looking to the arts to tell them how to dress, what to think, uh, you know, how life, to interpret life for them. Yeah. So I think the arts, if, if that is true or not true, I don't know, but at least it gives us a voice that is a very powerful voice into culture and into society. And uh, God's given us all this stuff to use for His glory. I mean, they belong yeah. to God. He's the creator. And I believe Christians should be the most creative yes. people. And if you're a Pentecostal, you have no excuse not to be creative yeah. because you have a very intimate relationship through the Holy Spirit with the Creator. Therefore, we have permission by God to experiment and to do new things and to just flow with Him. And uh, I think that's fantastic. That absolutely is. And, and you make some great points. And, and uh uh, I'm a musician myself, and so mm. that's, I've grown up with the the, the arts mm -hmm. in that in that sense uh, since my teenage years. But um, you know, that's a, that's a very interesting perspective. In the the title of the article that you just gave, the the artists mm -hmm. were the the prophets of of the future, basically. Um, you know, it ties in a lot with what tends to happen now in culture with with what you see in media. Of course, mm -hmm. a lot of the arts are producing the media that everyone consumes and uh, and so you know there that's why uh, to me there's such a need for a, a counter-cultural um, uh, arts program to some of the things you see that are produced by the world that are being pushed out you know all over the place uh, but then also to help direct people you know you, like you mentioned the the idea of people used to look at the church or used to look at uh, you know, teachers or whatever it was as their their representation or, or where they should be going in life, how they should live, what they should wear, things like that. Uh, but now it's this this art production. And Bono, uh, Lady Gaga, or who, I don't know all the latest yeah. guys, you know. <laughs> but that, they're the ones that are telling, you know, they're telling you this is what is right, this is what is wrong, how dare you oppose this agenda or that, you know, and right, uh, right. and the politicians have to listen to them, and definitely our uh, youth and emerging generation are, are tuned into that. Yeah. So uh, anyway, that's uh, we we had um, 
for many years we pastored a church in Madrid that we had uh, planted. We had started that church. And uh, we were living outside of the city in another city, Toledo, which was about an hour south of Madrid. So we would drive into Madrid every Sunday for church, and we would go by this one particular coffee shop and have a cup of coffee before we went to church. And there was a girl there, a Spanish girl, and she was from the south of Spain, and she came to Madrid as an aspiring actress. It's just like people go to Hollywood, you know? Yes. Yeah. And there's a very strong uh, industry of film in Madrid, very strong. Okay, I didn't realize that. And, oh, yeah. And uh, several people there have won Academy Awards, Pedro Almodovar. Penelope Cruz is from Madrid. She's oh, really? just from uh, a neighborhood, a, 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 like a community. I don't know. Here in Oklahoma City, be like uh, going to Norman. Oh, I mean, okay. It's just next yeah. door, you know. Yeah, yeah. And so <clears throat> she had gone to Madrid, this girl, her name is Gloria. And she had gone to Madrid with the hope of becoming an actress. And like just like people go to Hollywood, it didn't work out. Yeah. And so she's a waitress in this coffee shop. But I knew her. We had talked to her and had nice conversations. And she was a real sweet girl. And so I had an art show in Madrid. I knew she liked things about art and all that. Yeah. And uh, so I gave her a flyer for the art show and invited her to come to this art show. And she turns to me and she says, you're an artist? <laughs> and, and I said, yes. She says, I never saw you as an artist. And I said, I laughed. I said, well, how do you see an artist? <laughs> And she says, well, you know, these artists, you know, they got this funny hair and they got, you know, like purple hair and they got an earring and they got a <laughs> tattoo, you know. And she says, they're, they're, they're so bohemian. And she said, but you, you're so, so, you're so conservative. <laughs> and I looked at her and I said, haven't you heard? Conservative is the new bohemian. <laughs> When everybody has a tattoo and an earring, it's the straight guy that stands out. Yeah. And oh, of course, yeah. we artists, we like to be different. Yeah. So yeah. we're not going with that flow. We're going in a different direction. She says, yeah, I get that. I get that. You know? <laughs> she came to the arts show. So, you know, you can have a conversation, you know, just about we don't go with the flow. This is, right. this is who we are. You know, we want to be on the cutting edge when society's going into the sewer. Mm -hmm. We're crawling out. Yeah. You know, when everything is getting darker, we're getting, we're moving towards the light. And this is, this we understand as part of our Christianity, but it's also the nature of art. Yeah. You know, and so uh, I, I think there's a great opportunity for us uh, as Christians and as creative people. And of course, God gives the gifts. Yeah, you know, oh, yeah. and you have to unpack those gifts. It's uh, it still is use it or lose it. Yeah, uh, the the uh, Jesus said uh, to he who has, more will be given, and the one who doesn't use it will lose it. That's yeah. just straightforward. Matthew twenty five teaching. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. And now I want to I want to take a, a brief minute and and backtrack just a little bit and ask how. Uh, in your life, how did the Lord prepare you or start the preparation for your ministry, but also for art? Give us a little background on okay. how you got into uh, the arts, but then also uh, the ministry at the same time. How did yeah. that kind of develop for you? 
Well, it goes back to my family. Um, my great-grandfather, who was also a Linwood, uh, he was, uh, I guess you would call him a kind of a sculptor. Okay. Uh, he lived in Norfolk, Virginia. And, uh, and back in the old uh, days of the wooden sailing ships. Yes, yeah. He would uh, carve out those figureheads, you know, like a mermaid or a fish or something. Oh, yeah. And they put those on the bow of the ship. That's what my great-grandfather did. That's cool. That's and, cool. Uh, and so my grandfather, which was his son, mm-hmm. grew up in the workshop of my great-grandfather. And, uh, you know, he picked up a whole lot of that creative stuff. And he uh, became a very fine watercolor painter. My dad was a jazz musician. So there is an argument that you can make that the berries are not worthy of in a traditional job. We just <laughs> kind of, uh, I don't know what you call us. But uh, my parents uh, were divorced when I was a boy. And uh, it, at about 12, 13 years old, like a lot of kids do, um, I went through a time of, uh, I was just angry. Just angry yeah. all the time. I know it's hard to believe now. I'm such a nice person. <laughs> but there was a time I was so full of anger. I wasn't a Christian. We didn't have a Christian home. Yeah. We never went to church. And my mother, in frustration, when she didn't know what to do with me, she sent me to stay with my granddaddy. Oh, okay. And he gave me lessons in life and lessons in art. And so he'd say things to me like, he'd say, uh, well, son... You'll get a whole lot further in life with your hat in your hand than you will with a chip on your shoulder. <laughs> Things like that, you yeah, know. Yeah. But uh, I spent a lot of time with him. And, of course, back in those days, we still had money in schools. I understand you all having struggling in Oklahoma <laughs> with the school issue. Yeah. We had things like art and we had shop class. And I don't know if it had not been for my art class and my wood shop class if I'd been able to graduate from high school. They kept me in school. Yeah. But, uh, but I began to paint with my grandfather when I was about 12 in a serious way. I mean, yeah. beyond the coloring book. Yeah. And uh, when I was 16, I sold my very first painting. Wow. What, did that, what was that like for you actually thinking, hey, I could do yeah. this for, yeah. for yeah. a living? You know? Yeah. So I am 66. I guess I've been painting professionally for 50 years. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Technically. But, uh, you know, in a way, I would say that art, uh, for me, just drawing and painting, was something that um, perhaps kept me from going darker, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. like a lot of people, you know. But uh, my, my story is not any more unique or difficult. I had, a, I had a very loving family. They were not together, but they were all, I never felt I was not loved. But uh, art was a very strong uh, sense of comfort for me when I was a kid. And um, so I I was always painted. Since the time I'm 12 years old, I always painted. And then when we got to the mission field, I was so busy because we were starting from zero. And... um, I, you know, one time uh, John and Edna Parker, which people in your podcast will know, were our historic missionaries, and they were oh, yeah. my leaders. And then John was like a spiritual dad to me. And he told me one time, he said, Lynn, 
you got too much stress in your life. He said, you need to, you need to calm down a little bit or else you're going to burn up. And uh, about that time, I got an article. I think Edna gave me a, a Reader's Digest magazine. It had an article about stress. And it said in that article that people who, do, who work with people like pastors yes. or missionaries, yes. uh, they never get to finish anything. Because when you work with somebody, you can work with them for years. And then all of a sudden they backslide or whatever. You know? <laughs> and that, that never being able to finish something has a special kind of stress. And so people that are like a pastor, if they remodel furniture or make a painting, you, you can say at the end of your day, you say, well, you know, I preached three sermons and I had 40 people leave the church, but at least I finished the painting. I got signed my name on that painting. And somehow that helps you emotionally. And, and this is a, life is a marathon. Yeah. And ministry is a marathon. So you don't want to be out. So I started uh, uh, painting a little bit more in my spare time. And, um, and then it came where we had planted uh, several churches. We started a Bible school. And we're doing all of that. And one of our disciples, one of our kids that came to the Lord through us and his whole life was, you know, uh, being discipled and went through our church, became a beautiful Christian, married a girl he met in our church, and w both of them graduated our Bible school. And uh, they went, he, he actually gave up his job and went back to his home village uh, in the middle of Spain to start a church. Wow. They had no money. Yeah, yeah. And so one day I'm just kind of burdened for those guys and uh, just praying and thinking and meditating, you know, not down on my knees praying, but just kind of life praying. You know? yeah, yeah. And I said, oh God, what can we do to help Rafa and Patty? And I just heard the voice of the Holy Spirit say, use what you have in your hand. And literally I looked down, I had a paintbrush in my hand <laughs> and I got an idea, I made a painting and I took the painting to a print shop and had them make 300 uh, copies of that painting. Yeah. And I sold those 300 prints, limited edition prints, and with the money from the sale of those prints, I had enough money to give him a salary for a year and a half, just enough time for them to get the church on its feet to where they could get going, and they're going. And uh, that couple is still a precious couple in our church now, that's been 20 years ago. Wow. And so um, from that, uh, I said to myself, hmm, maybe I can do a little bit more with this. You know? <laughs> so I got a studio and I started painting a little bit more. I'm still doing all my other stuff. You know? yes, yes. I mean, that's what I want to say. Sometimes people have me identified as Lynn Woodbury, the uh, painter, but I got to tell you, they forget all those churches we planted and all that other stuff we're still doing every day. So don't forget that. You know, oh, our yeah. passion, I didn't go to Spain to make paintings. I went to Spain to win the, to win the loss. Yes, it's just yeah. a tool. Yeah. And so, um, so then uh, we started, uh, got a studio, and somebody came and said, man, this would be a fantastic art gallery. Yeah. So we got a little money from the coffee house ministry and remodeled it and uh, started a art gallery slash cultural center. And the first time we had a, uh, an official art show was a show of my paintings. 
we had uh, four TV stations come and interview and four or five newspapers and about 200 university students because it's in a university district. And right. we had the local politicians come and some wealthy people because they often buy art. And yeah. all of a sudden we had a platform that we never, we had hundreds of people that we never get an opportunity to talk to. These people are not going to our churches. Yeah. we got to find a way. It's real easy to say, well, uh, people not going to church. Church has got to go to the people. That's a great argue, argument. I'm all for that. The question is, how do we do that effectively? Yes, yeah. You know, we've preached on the streets. That's great. It's not that effective. But you can find a way, a platform, to launch a dialogue. And that's what we did. Wow. And out of that, we started a church. That church today is one of our most dynamic churches. And it all started in, in our living room and in, our, in an art gallery. Um, we pastored that church for five years. And then we uh, uh, named a pastor. He's here today in Oklahoma City. Oh, He's in these meetings. And um, about uh, six months into his first ever pastorate, um, the economic crisis hit. And he calls me and he says, uh, Lynn, we have 11 families, but we have no money because everybody has lost their job. All 11 families. We don't have one, we don't have one person working in the church. What do I do? Yeah. I, I had just returned from Paris and we have a nice church with a food bank there. And I said, maybe we can start a food bank. So they did, and we went to the Red Cross. They gave us about uh, 1,000 kilos of rice and beans and stuff like that. And they took some money from the treasury. They had money and, and bought some chicken and bought some vegetables, and they started giving it away. In a very short time, they were feeding 55 families a week out of that food bank, and the church began to grow. And it outgrew the place it was, and that outgrew the second place, and it kept growing. Two years later, this uh, uh, church, uh, the local politicians came and they talked to Tomas. He's here today, Tomas about the pastor of this church. Yeah. And they said, Pastor, we see the good work your church is doing. And we would like to nominate you to be for our political party to come and run to be on the city council. And he said, I'm too busy, but talk to my wife. She became involved in politics, and through her political connections, a year later, the city gave us a building. And in that building, they have uh, the food bank, but then they decided they were going to take it to another level and serve hot meals, like a soup kitchen. Yeah. Well, he came to me, I said, you know, a soup kitchen? <laughs> I mean, I, like one thing, one or two days a week, give out food. Yeah. You're talking hot meals every day. Are you up for that task? And he said, oh yeah, we got it covered. And I'm thinking, <laughs> who in the world is he getting to do this yeah. soup kitchen? Because I knew about a third of the church was a bunch of retired people. Yeah. They had three people in a wheelchair and a bunch of widows, as well as normal people, we would say. Yeah. And I'm thinking, who in the world are they going to get to do this? Well, lo and behold, it was the widows 
It was the retirees and it was the handicapped people. And even today, they run the soup kitchen. So, really? you know, we're talking about using what you have. You know, oh, yeah. they, you know church growth theory tells us, well, you got to reach the youth, you got to reach the young married. But they're so busy, they got no time for that. <laughs> but those retired people have, have an amazing ministry to reach their community. So they started the soup kitchen, and the last I heard, they were feeding 78 families a week in the soup kitchen. 78 a week? 78, yeah, a week. And on Saturday, they make a double portion because they're closed on Sunday, and they give them a a plate of food to take home so they have something to eat for for Sunday. And these are not street people. These These are just people who have lost their job, families, kids, you know, you would be amazed. You would say, I, you know, I can't imagine that these people, but they have nothing. They yeah. have nothing because of the economy. So the church continued to grow. And then those same politicians who came to him became, uh, be, that led them to have a dialogue with these politicians. Now, three of the city councilmen have been one to the Lord baptized in water, discipled into the church. And in July of last year, they just inaugurated a brand new building, a huge building for Spain. The biggest building we have in our in IPHC Spain. And I was there for the dedication of the building and all of the city councilmen were there. And I saw the three that are members of the church, the Christians. They said, yeah, "Yeah, we're praying for the other four, but they're a different political party. (laughs) We're not sure God can save them yet. (laughs) But but, uh, here's the thing, you know. So here's something that began with a guy who needed some money because he was a pastor planting a church. And God says, make a painting, which led to an art gallery, Mm -hmm. which led to a church which led to a, a church with a ministry of social impact. Yes. Which led to involvement in the local politics, which led to a growing church that is transforming the society. Wow. That's the potential. Yes. That's what, so we're not just thinking about, okay, growing the IPHC. Of course, that's, our, that's, a, that's an important goal. Yeah. But we're really wanting to transform not just yeah. people. We want to transform cities. Yes, yes. And, and so we're looking to have transformation. And to have transformation, you have to have a platform. Yeah. You know, so I'm, I, I don't know who's listening to your cast. And I don't want to, you know, offend anybody, but that's okay. But I'm just going to talk about my own theory. And my own theory is I want the church to be the church. I want when people go to a Sunday service or a midweek service, I want them to feel the power of God. I want sinners yes. to feel uncomfortable. You know, I don't want to. I don't want sinners to be comfortable in my church. I want them to feel the, the Holy Spirit. I want conviction if they're there. But that doesn't mean we want to be offensive. So I, we hold lightly. We, we're not outwardly offensive, but I believe the church should be the assembly of God's people and a platform for worship. Yes. Yeah. So. In that scenario, I, I believe there's a place for a neutral platform. 
somewhere between the world who never goes to church and the church who's entering and engaging primarily with God. Somewhere in, betw in between, there could be a platform. It might be an art gallery or a cultural center or some activity where the church people can come and engage the world. Yes. And the world can come and, and find the church. And that's where we started this Project CREA. And Project CREA is a, a separate building we have in, um, in Madrid. We have it in, in the center of the, uh, downtown Madrid. Mm -hmm. It's about a three-story building. It is not where the church meets. Okay. And our primary activities there are evangelistic. And we have dance classes and art classes and art shows and concerts. And we have community meals. Mm -hmm. And uh, we've had weddings there. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, we had a wedding. We had two, two punk rockers. <laughs> we had two, two punk rockers, and they came to the Lord. Really? And they, you know, immediately they wanted to get married. You yeah, know? yeah. So uh, because, you know, they, they came to the Lord and gave their heart to Jesus and said, well, we, we realize we need to get married. And said, okay, let's do that. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they, they said, uh, can we use Crea for the wedding? And I said, absolutely. So they invited all their punk rock friends. And the only Christians <laughs> in there were them and maybe a couple people from the church. And I performed the wedding. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it was so funny. Absolutely hilarious. You know, uh, the, the bride showed up. This is her wedding gown. She was in skin tight leopard spot leotards, oh, no. uh, four inch spiky high heels. A black blouse open in the back so everybody could see the full tattoo on her back, you know. <laughs> yeah. And feathers in her ears and flowers in her hair. That was her That, that was, was her, her wedding, wedding gown. <laughs> <laughs> and the husband, he he had on skin tight skinny jeans <laughs> and uh, he had a sleeveless t shirt, black t shirt, with a sleeveless jeans jacket uh, vest so that everybody could see his tattoos on both sides of his arms. <laughs> and his hair was twice as long as his wife's. <laughs> <laughs> a very, we, a very I, eclectic... Uh, oh, yeah. And so we had, this, we had this wedding. We had it there. And you know, the funny thing is, it's one of the coolest weddings I ever had, you know, ever been it? in. Oh, yeah. And I was able to preach the gospel, had a captive audience, and they made a little video, and they shared in the video in their own wedding what Christ meant to them and how they had come to Christ. And it was so precious. Wow. But can you imagine if we'd had that, like, in a, in a traditional church building? You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Just the idea of it, you know. <laughs> so it's nice to have this neutral platform. Yeah. Uh, it's non-threatening. And we can have these activities that are attractive to people. And, and, and so a lot of times we'll have an art show. Yeah. And uh, this allows people in the church to invite their unsaved neighbors and friends uh, to something. People who would never go to church, but they'll come to the art show. Yes. And that way we'll get a chance to share something with, of the gospel. We'll, we'll do that. And then we have classes. So maybe in the art show we'll have a follow-up. And, and they'll see, oh, they have English classes. They have a cooking class. They have these things. I'm interested in that. Yeah. And there'll be 10 people in that class. Well, half of those people will be from the church. And half of those people will be people just came in, yeah. non-Christians. 
which allows us to create community with them. Ten weeks, you've got them. Oh yeah, you've got them. Well, and this and this is is uh, something that you've covered a couple different things in here that really uh, tie in perfectly with a few different areas that we've been talking about a lot through the podcast and through other things. Uh, you know, some articles that the IPHC is producing, the different departments, and but this idea of um, what, what, like what you said, a neutral place, a neutral, yes. and, and not just a neutral place, but a neutral interest. So for yeah. instance, the arts, uh, yeah. music, or, yeah. or uh, painting, or something like that, uh, that brings the world, it draws people from the world who don't want to go into a church and go to a worship service initially, but brings them in through an interest that we both mutually have from, from both sides of the spectrum, from the, the, uh, the Christian community and then the, and the world community. Bring them in, Introduce them uh, to uh, the love of Christ through those mm-hmm. relationships that are being built through this neutral, uh, this neutral thing that's happening, and then out of that, like you said, uh, within a matter of weeks, these people are are involved and integrated into this community. And next thing that happens is they want to know why mm-hmm. all these wonderful people are loving them when you know naturally the conviction starts to happen, and when hey, I'm you know I'm. In the world, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Uh, and you all say you're Christians. Why uh, do you treat me as a as a brother or a sister? You sure. Know? Why am sure. I a family member when I'm not even a part of your church? And that's sure. what that's what tends to happen. And, and Christ just pulls them in, draws them in through uh, the members of the church, through the people who are serving. And I also found it interesting. And I wanted to touch on this a little bit. Um, you know, of course, right now, this year is the, the focus on all generations in the yeah. IPHC through yeah. the core value um, emphasis that we're doing. And one thing that we've been talking a lot about with people is this idea that, that every generation, of course, the all generations mm-hmm. focus is tying in all the generations and every part that each generation has to play in the body of Christ. And you mentioned earlier that that soup kitchen, yeah. that feeding program, was run by the retirees and was run by the uh, some of the, the uh, handicapped people in the yeah. church. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was one of, the, one of the greatest things to hear you talking about that in the fact that uh, you know, we just talked with um, the the senior ministries uh, consultant for the discipleship ministries department about uh, finding a place. Every generation has a, a different part to play in the the overall spectrum of what the ministry is. And the mm-hmm. fact that I thought it was so cool, the fact that the retirees, of course, they, they've got time mm-hmm. to be able to run a soup Absolutely. kitchen Absolutely. when a lot of the, the younger crowd is out trying to, you know, yeah. work or make money or, or save for retirement or that sort hey, of thing. Hey, don't, let's, let's don't park those people out there at the old right. folks' home. You know, well, God's well, still yeah. got a plan for them. And they've know? got plenty of stuff. They've got plenty of stuff to do. They absolutely do. They absolutely do. Yeah. I believe, I, I believe uh, that what God is doing and where He is taking us is uh, a broader understanding yeah. of salvation and a broader understanding of healing and a broader understanding of just the grace of the gospel and that it is not just for our spiritual side, yeah. but God wants to activate our minds. God wants to activate our talents and our gifts. I believe that God wants the church to lead and, uh, and not to be passive. I don't believe that God uh, is, is uh, specifically interested 
and us just pulling up the, you know, the walls of the church around us and hiding out until the rapture. I believe, on the contrary, the gates of hell will not prevail, but it takes courage and it takes an investment. You know, this stuff is not cheap yeah. to do. This is not uh, easy to do. It, it takes money. It takes uh, an investment of time, and it's a, it's a wear and tear a little bit physically and mentally, even sometimes emotionally. In other words, when you go out into the world and do stuff like this, you've got to be prayed up, and you've got to be ready to engage. However, the Lord's going to help us do it, and He has helped us do it. We have so yes. many stories of that, you don't have enough tape in your podcast to, <laughs> for me to speak. So, But I, I think this whole idea of of us not just focusing on the spiritual side, which is extremely important. Yes. And the most important. But there's an emotional dimension, an intellectual dimension. There's an artistic dimension. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think, you know, a lot of my paintings, um, I, I kind of progressed into color. And I didn't never see myself as a very colorful person, but I can't hardly keep it out of my paintings now. Yeah. And people always ask me, why do you have so much color in your paintings? And I said, well, what is color? You know, color is nothing but light. Yeah. And if you take a drop of water and pass light through it, you'll see the entire rainbow. That's what we see in the sky, the rainbow, the color. Yes. And it's the light that brings out that color. Well, wherever you have a lot of light, you have a lot of color. And if you don't have a lot of light, you don't have much color. That's why we don't see colors at night. Yeah. Because there's not a lot of light. Turn on the light, there's the color. It was there. But it's it colors in light. Yeah. And when you when you uh, when you're walking in the light, color yeah. is present in your life. Now last year for last I was in Ukraine and they had organized two art shows for me and I don't have time to tell you all the details. Yeah. But uh, through the Christian Hope Church, I was able to have an art show at the most prestigious venue in Kiev, in the, in the Institute of Fine Arts of Kiev. This is like Metropolitan Museum in U.S. And I had an art show there. This guy, me. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> but awesome. uh, So they had journalists there, and they interviewed me and all this kind of stuff. And uh, everybody was interested in the fact that color, why? Because it's so gray. The skies are gray, the streets are gray, the buildings are gray, people come in, they're dressed in gray. Yeah. You know, it's a gray place. Here's this guy comes in and brings all this color, you know. And they said, why do you have so much color? And I said, because light is color. And I said, you don't paint objects, you paint your soul. Yeah. I said, if there's light in your soul, there's color there, you know. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And so uh, when I had the uh, opportunity to make a statement, I just shared my testimony. I said, my wife and I were hippies. We got saved in the Jesus People Movement. That took us to Spain. And God did this and did that. And they were blown away. At the end of that trip, one of the number one artists of the Ukraine became a Christian in a one-to-one -one conversation with me. Wow. One of their top artists. The last day I was there, uh, I also was able to meet the wife of the president of the Ukraine. You know, not Lynn Woodbury the missionary, Lynn Woodbury the artist. Yeah. So uh, I say that to say, let's not despise the whole man. Yeah. You know, let's not despise the hands 
and the head and all the gifts and all the things that God has given us. And let's believe God that we are going to do something great with our lives. Absolutely. And, uh, and so, um, uh, yeah, I believe that's for the whole man. And then uh, it's for every generation and every woman. And this is who we are. We're a great church. I can tell you, we are a magnificent church. Yeah. And one of the reasons we're so great is because Pentecostal is embedded in our name. And if you're a Pentecostal, you have the right to be creative. That's what the Holy Spirit does. That's right. And I and I, I want to I want to touch on that. And and unfortunately, uh, we and uh, this is one thing I can tell you this, and it's happened more and more recently with uh, with these podcasts, is I tend to run a little bit too long because they're so good. So we can <laughs> we can make this a much longer podcast. I do have to to close it, but I want to I want to touch on what you just said because I think it's so vitally important uh, for the church to grasp as, as a whole, people are given so many different gifts by the Lord. Uh, that, and you're right, they should not be ignored. Just because uh, something isn't labeled as ministry initially mm-hmm. doesn't mean that it's not a ministry or can be used as a ministry. And just like you've been talking about with art, the opportunity to minister to that top artist mm-hmm. or to have some of the, the, uh, the officials, the political officials of Ukraine or these mm-hmm. other areas, those opportunities might not have come about if it wasn't for this gifting and this, this passion you have for art that the Lord's put mm-hmm. in you. Well, the same thing applies to everyone across the, the church. Christian uh, people all are given gifts and talents and abilities, uh, and I think it's so vitally important that people don't ignore mm-hmm. those things and say, "Hey, I can't. You know, this is something different. You know, or I, you know, I love business. Well, there's, it's, you know, I feel like I need to do ministry. Well, be a businessman, but also minister through through your business or or through your art or through whatever the means is that the Lord's giving you to, uh, again, connect with people who." You're not going to connect within the church initially, but you want to bring them into that, to that environment. You want to bring them into that place, and uh, so I love that. And Linwood, I want to say thank you so much for talking sure. to us today. Do you have any final, just brief thoughts you want to leave? Yeah, with I'll just say this in closing. Uh, for 32 years, Nancy and I have been ministering in a post-Christian culture, and this is the this is the concern that you know we look around the United States. And we say, what's going on? We don't understand it. And when you're in a post-Christian culture, it's not like you get to be the first person to tell people about Jesus. It's a culture where people think they know who Christ is and they made a decision to pass. And so when you're in that kind of environment, you have to start a dialogue somewhere else. But here's, here's the good news. Everybody needs Jesus. Yeah. Every, there's a key to every nation. There's a key to every heart. And, and uh, once we have the connection, the Holy Spirit will take it to the next level. But this is what we, this is what we need to reach the post-Christian, post-modern people. We need the key. And that key is not likely to be found inside the four walls of a church building. So uh, it's not a question of an option. This is a question of survival. Yeah. We have to do this. And, uh, but God's with us. I mean, this is yeah. amazing. You'll see amazing miracles and, and good stuff. 
Thank you so very much for sharing with us today and taking the time to sit down and, and talk about uh, what the Lord's doing in your life and also the, the wisdom imparting it to uh, all the listeners. I know that they appreciate it as much as I do. So thank you so much. You're welcome. Me. It was good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this edition of the IPHC Leadership Cast. For more information on the Leadership Cast and other church-related resources, please visit www.iphc.org.